Hi, I'm Mike Duran. Welcome back to Counterbalance. My guest today is Michael Roberts. He's my new colleague here at the Hudson Institute working on maritime security. We talked about what's happened over the last 50 years to the American maritime industry, to shipping and to shipbuilding, about competition with China, which is building 1,529 ships right now, and we are building five. And we discussed what that means for American industrial policy, what it means for national security, uh, and talked a little bit about uh, how we might go about uh, changing things so that the balance between the United States and China is not so lopsided. So uh, without further ado, let's dive into the episode. Our guest today is Mike Roberts. He's uh, my new colleague at the Hudson Institute. He's a veteran of many years, decades, in the commercial maritime industry. And now here at Hudson He's uh, he's working on maritime strategy, and I think uh, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, Mike. But I think competition with China is the number one thing on your your mind. Yeah, is that's that right? what that's what motivates me, uh, Mike. It definitely. Uh, so the last uh, couple of years, I, I semi retired at the end of this of, the, of this year or the beginning of this year, and uh, the last two years I've spent as president of the American Maritime Partnership, which is a a, a coalition of uh, American shipbuilding and carriers and uh, uh, trade associations focused on promoting the American maritime industry and defending against attacks on the Jones Act. Uh, and I've been involved with that organization for a long time. But um, in the course of the last two years, I got very interested in China and the maritime strategies there. And, um, and so w- when it came time, a, a good opportunity for me to retire, I want to continue that work, and that's one. I was very grateful to, for the chance to, to hook up with the Hudson Institute uh, and, and work on that. Our listeners are not going to know what the Jones Act is. Uh, I, I happen to know, but only because I've listened to you talk about it before. <laughs> so we'll, but we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. That's, okay. that, that's really interesting. I, I have a, a, a secret goal for this conversation with you, and I, I don't know if you can satisfy my uh, my goal, if you can help me achieve it, but. I, I want you to explain to me why the country I grew up in doesn't exist anymore. I, I, uh, I'm 60 years old, and I, I grew up, I'm sorry to disappoint all of the, the, the younger <laughs> listeners out there who, who, who thought I was their age. I grew up in a country where uh, heavy industry, science, and technology was sort of the heart of what America did. Everybody knew somebody who worked in a factory, uh, and uh, that that world is. Uh, one day I woke up. I don't know when that was. Sometime in the nineties, I guess I realized it doesn't exist anymore. Um, and you you've been working to keep a part of that uh, for decades. I think you've been working to keep part of that alive. The the maritime industry. So we'll dive into that. What happened to the maritime industry? How come we're not a global leader in it? And then try to widen it out to sure. what's what's happening to American industry more more broadly is that does that make sense to you no that's great i mean that's you're absolutely right uh i've I've spent a lot of time thinking about um you know the position we are in as a as a as an american maritime industry and how that relates to the broader economy and the and, and and our position in the world and uh and it does lead to certain conclusions about about policies that that we've uh 
accepted and, and uh, pursued for, for many decades. So yeah, I, I'm looking at this really focused on the maritime industry, shipping and shipbuilding. Um, uh, but it does have, I think, uh, lessons for the broader economy. All right, let, let's start with that. And, okay. let, and we'll start with the Jones Act since you mentioned that you want to save it. Because every time before I had heard of the Jones Act before I heard you mention it, but I had only heard it reviled. There's a whole network. If you Google Jones Act, there's, uh, you know, 10 articles come up about why the Jones Act is destroying the American economy and everything. So first of all, why don't you tell us what the Jones Act is and, and then uh, explain to us, I'm going to, after that, I'm going to have you explain to us how come it hasn't sure. preserved our position as a leader. Well, in global so, so it's, the Jones Act is, is, uh, is, uh, it basically says that if you, if you're shipping cargo between two American points in our domestic commerce, uh, that uh, you have to use an American built ship, an American owned ship, American cruise ship registered in the United States. A foreign ship isn't registered in the United States. It's, it doesn't have American crews on it. Um, it's not built in the United States. Uh, so those ships aren't allowed in our domestic commerce. Uh, that sounds protectionist. In reality, when you think about it in terms of if, if cargo is moving from uh, uh, Oklahoma, let's say it's uh, oil from Oklahoma to a refinery in, in the East Coast, uh, and it moves by pipeline, it's going to be an American pipeline, American workers on that pipeline, they have to obey American laws and pay American taxes. Uh, if it moves by truck or rail, same thing, it's got to obey American laws, pay American taxes. So if it moves by ship, same thing. It's got to obey American laws, pay American taxes, hire American workers. Somehow when that gets on the water, it becomes the most protectionist and horrible thing out there. Uh, and, and I, uh, I, and there is an industry, a little mini industry of folks who, uh, who, um, uh, who uh, have created an echo chamber of, of, uh, of, uh, criticism of the Jones Act, which is, I, I, I wasted a half an hour last week reading one of these uh, diatribes against the Jones Act, and it was wrong in nomenclature, in facts, in law, and the result, and uh, the conclusions were just dead wrong and, and, and harmful. Uh, we don't have to get too much into the yeah. in, into all the Jones Act stuff. Okay. Uh, uh, Ask me how do, I really feel. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no, I just know, it's, it's, I love to see the passion. The, um, uh, I, I want to get us to, uh, as fast as I can to the larger question of, of industry in, in, in general. But here we have this thing. It, may, it also makes sense. I, I, I said, let's move on from Jones Act. But right. Now I'm going to take us back there. Yeah. The, the first thing that I think of, especially in the current context, is national security. I mean, you can't right. have something as important as uh, um, uh, all of the shipping of everything that you everything that you consume, everything that you use to keep your economy going, um, controlled by the Chinese, which is what would happen if we didn't have a Jones Act. Am I, am I wrong? No, that's absolutely right. We don't want Russian captains running up and down the Mississippi River. Uh, we don't want uh, the Chinese, uh, Costco, the Chinese Ocean Shipping Company, uh, controlling the, the freight line between Hawaii and the mainland. Yeah. That would be bad. That right. would be like Hong Konging. Hawaii, uh, it, it, would, it would just make them so vulnerable. And, and, and most people in Hawaii understand that. Most politicians in Hawaii understand that. There's a few who, uh, who uh, rail against the Jones Act, and, and they're just mistaken. Okay, so here, here's, here's, what I, here's my question, though. I, I just, just before I sat down to talk with you, I, I Googled what are the top 10 container shipping companies in the world, and where, where, are, they, where are they based? And uh, to my surprise, the number one shipping company in the world, I was surprised it was not Chinese, and it, it's in a country that, as far as I know, is totally landlocked. 
namely Switzerland. Um, and then uh, the number 10 company is uh, Seam of Israel. So uh, Israel is represented, uh, um, uh, Switzerland is represented, France is represented, Japan, South Korea, uh, China, uh, uh, China, of course, but Maersk is number two, Maersk is, uh, is Danish. And so we've got these little, com- these little countries like Denmark and Israel, and then we have a landlocked country, Switzerland, which is not even a great power, it's not even an industrial power, is represented. How, how come the United States isn't represented there? So there's a lot to that, a lot to unpack in that. In terms of shipping companies, uh, you know, policy drives outcome. So uh, in, in the United States, our policies, our tax policies toward vessel ownership, uh, uh, were disadvantaged American ownership, uh, p- particularly in the 1986 tax law. There was a provision in there that that required U.S. companies to uh, report current income on on overseas uh, shipping profits, which made us non-competitive. And the re- and the result of that was that uh, in the after finally giving up and trying to change that law back to make U.S. taxes competitive for shipping. Uh, industry. Um, in, in the late 1990s, um, the two largest American container shipping companies, Sealand Service, sold out to Maersk, mm. uh, or was CSX sold Sealand to, to Maersk, and, and, and then a- APL, American President Line, uh, was sold to a Singaporean company, NOL, which later was bought by the French company. So the, the consolidation took place um, with no American involvement because we were uncompetitive from a, sh- a vessel owner perspective perspective. When you get back then to the ship itself and the U.S. flag and uh, registry of the ships, that's a that's a different story, although right. a similar theme. But in registry of sh- everything, it used to be whenever I read about a ship going aground somewhere, it was Liberian. Yeah. Is it still, is Liberia still the the, the preferred uh, place to, to register your ship? Or? So, so that's that raises a whole interesting set of issues. But Liberia, I think, is number three or four mm-hmm. in terms of ship registries uh, worldwide. Uh, number one is Panama. Uh, uh, number in terms of large ships, ah, large, right. yeah, yeah. large commercial yeah, yeah. ships, and, yes. and not just container ships, but tankers and bulkers and, and, and the whole range of ships. Uh, number two is Hong Kong slash China, um, uh, and uh, and I think number three is is Liberia. So they're they're called uh, Hong Kong China is is a separate case, but most of the rest of the countries that are small and uh, you wouldn't think of as shipping powers uh, are. Uh, called flags of convenience or open registries if you want to not put any judgment on it and uh, and and if the, the 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 reason i would if i if i owned a shipping company the reason i would register my my ship in liberia is because there are no regulations about what i pay sailors and uh um and and loose regulations about health and safety and everything else and taxation is preferential is that is that what it is is that what it comes down to absolutely exactly right nothing uh, nothing more than that it's nothing more than that. Uh, they, they've sort of set up, in fact, the, the, the registry of Liberia and the Marshall Islands, which is in the top five, I think, uh, are, um, are in office buildings uh, in, in Reston, Virginia. Uh, uh, you know, their, their, their connection to the country is uh, minimal. Uh, the countries are basically renting out their sovereignty for a fee. Uh, they get paid the fee, and, and then, the, you know, that's, that's how international shipping evolved over the last uh, 75 years. And so even a big company like Maersk is, uh, is registering its, so it's, it's Danish owned, 
but it's going to be registering its ships elsewhere. Is that so? So I'm not sure uh, specifically about Maersk. I think some of their, I, th- I think a good chunk of their fleet is uh, foreign registered. I'm not sure about that. Uh, certainly, um, uh, I think the number I heard was around 60 percent of the of the fleet globally is registered in a flag of convenience registry. 60% of, of Maersk's fleet no, or of the global, uh, of all, all, of all, all, of all, owners, all ships right. on the, on the water. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so, so that's what, and that's what, yeah. Go and ahead. if we don't go by companies if we just say, uh, if we, if we, if we look at all of the ships on the water in, in, in the globe, and then we say we divide it up by the nationality of the owner what what what's what country is biggest in shipping? So that's uh, easily Hong Kong slash China, China slash Hong Kong. Um, they they I think of terms of vessels over over a thousand gross tons. Uh, they're around nine thousand uh, uh, vessels that are owned by uh, China slash Hong Kong uh, entities. Uh, second place is Greece with around 4,300, I think. So they're over double the next... Uh, they're roughly, I think maybe 47, but roughly uh, roughly double second yeah. place. Uh, okay, I can't, I can't do math. No, so, you had yeah. it right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I had it wrong. <laughs> so uh, uh, and how long has China been the leader in terms of ownership of that? Uh, you know, it, it's it's uh, something we're digging into. Uh, it's It's uh, been... Uh, 20 years ago, they, I don't think they would have been in the top 10. I remember reading articles in the early 2000s about how China was really going to focus on on um, developing their their fleet, and and they really did. Um, and uh, but so but, this was a decision of national leadership. This is this isn't something that simply happened organically because they took a bigger role in global manufacturing. Absolutely, it's part of the of the of the industrial strategy that that, that China has been pursuing in many sectors, including shipping. Wow, and and what what percentage of the total, uh, you know, the, the global fleet is American owned? So the American or, ownership is is, you know, uh, it, it depends on vessel size. If you get down to the smaller vessels, there's a pretty good number there. I think thirteen hundred, uh, but uh, so uh, but I think that's out of a hundred thousand vessels of a hundred gross ton or more. Yeah. So it's it's a relatively small. If you look at registry. Yeah. which is what people tend to focus on, U.S. flag vessels, uh, which have U.S. crews and obey U.S. laws and pay U.S. taxes. It's around, I think it's 178 ships uh, that's of, it. of 1,000 gross tons, right? 178. Yeah, and that's, that's thanks to the Jones Act that you mentioned at the beginning. Uh, about 100 or 95 of those are, are in the domestic trades, uh, tankers and container ships and bulkers and those sorts of things in domestic markets. Uh, there's about 80, 85 ships uh, that fly the U.S. flag in international trades uh, based upon government programs uh, that that uh, are designed to offset the cost disadvantage that uh, U.S. flag vessels have. So what? how come, you know, if, I, if I compare it to the aircraft industry, we um, the United States has remained a leader if not the leader i don't know how do we would divide up uh, between us and you know and 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 the europeans but we are we we are a global leader in uh in 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 the manufacture of aircraft and and of air freight i would assume too am i wrong uh, I, I, I don't know about air freight, uh, and, and we're talking really about uh, aircraft operations here or, yeah. or, you know, carriers. Yeah. Uh, so carriers in the building, so certainly building planes. We're still in the, we're still building planes. Right. So, so I think that the, 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 it, it is very interesting in the, in the, um, in terms of air, air, 
uh, air carriers. Uh, the, the top three air carriers in the world are American, United, and Delta, depending on measures that you use, fleet size and those sorts of things. Um, and in, in terms of carriers, uh, in, in ocean carriers, not even on the radar screen. American, Americans are not there. Wow. And, and there's, there's no rational explanation for that other than policy choices that were made along the way. Um, we're not, the, the taxation policy that you mentioned before, or are there other ones as the, well? The, the taxation policy is a, is a key one. But, but another aspect of this is, is the aviation industry is organized internationally under something called the Chicago Convention which was in the 1940s. And it basically said, just because you're willing to operate between two countries doesn't mean you have the right to do so. You need to get permission from both countries to, to provide that service. And, and, uh, and so it was a regulated entry market, um, which uh, economists tend to hate. Uh, and over, but over time, that it became more and more liberalized. So you have open skies policies now that, uh, uh, that enable a very competitive international aviation system but one that keeps out flag of convenience airplanes. Hmm. So they have to be the national flag carriers of the countries that are involved, or they'll have fifth freedom rights to, to do cross trading and that sort of thing. But, but that, that regulatory system for international aviation is fundamentally different than what it is in the, in the maritime industry. You know, ships, How are, interesting. ships are like airplanes, but, but they're regulated totally different. And the outcome is what we see in terms of the shipping industry. Americans are, are not non-factors for the most part internationally, but in, in aviation, uh, we lead the world. Would you would you advocate um, a movement toward for, for shipping, a movement in the direction of the, the policies that regulate global aviation? I, I think you almost have to now, given where what we're seeing with China and the, and the situation we're in right now. I, I, I don't, I mean, the, the 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 policy has clearly disadvantaged American interests, American carrier interests, uh, and and nobody's gained except uh, except foreign foreign carriers. If you look at what has happened in the in the uh, supply chain shocks, yeah, with freight rates going three hundred and fifty percent up up three hundred and fifty percent or more, um, almost every dime of that. Uh, of of those of those incremental freight rates have gone to foreign carriers and U.S. consumers are paying it, um, and that's been calculated to add one and a half percent to consumer price index inflation. Uh, so it, it, you know there's a real downside to all of this from an economic perspective, from a national security perspective, and you and economic security involving China. That's that's a whole other very difficult and important issue to uh, to, to address and, and something we need to unpack further. But uh, I, I think part of the answer has to lie in having more American um, control over over the international supply chain, uh, the, the, including U.S. flag vessels. Uh, and so, what 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 uh, what you would be for then? I'm I'm just thinking along with you is sort of an extension of the Jones Act. A partial extension of the Jones Act out beyond uh, uh, interstate shipping, so that you'd say that if you're going to if you're going to ship into the United States, then with a an owned or flagged vessel from a foreign a foreign owned or flagged vessel, then 
then the, there has to be a reciprocal agreement that a, an American flagged vessel will come in to you or something of, of well, along this line. Is I, that, I'm is not that sure what you, is well, that, how, do you, how do you, get, how do you get there? Yeah. Now, as I started to explain what I thought you're thinking it was going to be, I, 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 des I described a system that I think was unworkable. It, uh, so I don't think it's unworkable to get, uh, get where we get to where we need to be with it. Um, how we get there exactly, I don't know. I, w I would prefer not to refer to it as an extension of the Jones Act. Yeah. I think the Jones Act is about domestic trade. I will right, we'll put and, the Jones Act yeah. in its box and leave it over there. Okay. <laughs> um, and by the way, aviation has cabotage rules that are essentially the same except for the build requirement. You use this word, uh, cabotage. I'm sorry. I'm uneducated. I don't know what it means. It, it means uh, between the capes. It means a domestic transportation move. Ah. between two American points or two points within a country. So uh, two, between two points in, in the United States, uh, uh, Lufthansa uh, jet can't pick up a, uh, an American, a passenger in New York and, and carry it to Los Angeles. It can carry through passengers. Passengers arrive in, on that plane and then continue on, which is the same thing that can happen on a, on a ship. Uh, but it, it, it's uh, domestic trading restrictions are the same mm. uh, in the aviation and in trucking and in railroad and everything else. So again, but, but so be, putting that aside, thinking about the international uh, industry, shipping industry and, and how we uh, sort of convert from uh, what I'll call a flag of convenience system, which is really, really cheap. I mean, it's, it, it's, you know, every, every, decision that gets made along the way uh, is is intended to uh you know reduce regulatory burden and tax and all of that stuff um but uh the the uh, the result is that americans are completely out of the game so how do we transition into a, a regime that looks more like international aviation mm. um, and i think that's a real challenging question but i think it's doable i think it's doable if the if the united states and allied powers say we need to we need to figure something out here yeah it has to be doable if we wanted to do it has anyone put together a roadmap um it hasn't been discussed a whole lot. Um, uh, no, not not that I know of. I think I think that's something that just you know needs to be worked on. That's one of these that once once you have this taxation policy that drives all ownership out of the United States, then there's no constituency in the United States for 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 advocating for these things. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Once you lose it, it's gone. Yeah. For the I, most part, but we've kept. We've kept it because of the domestic training restrictions. No, also I, I see that a lot in international politics. Things that may make a lot of sense. There's there the once you lose the constituency, there's no no one's even thinking about it. Right. No, that's absolutely right. And 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 we came close to losing that in in the domestic market, but uh, uh, but we were able to to get some changes that that preserve what we have. So that's so, a whole other question. What what uh, um, when when you look at uh, what say uh, I, I work on the Middle East, so I'm, I, I was surprised to to see seem right have such a big percentage of the market, or it, you know, be such a, a a big global competitor. Actually, I'm not I'm not surprised because if I go past the Newark Airport on the New Jersey Turnpike, they have this these you know these huge fields of of yeah. uh, of, of containers, containers right. and I see and Sim everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, what 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 has Israel done? How can a little country of uh, nine million people 
um, how, how can it be a, a global competitor in this industry? So I don't know specifically the answer to that question. Uh, I would say generally speaking, uh, you know, the Israelis uh, take, uh, uh, take their national security issues very, very seriously and consider uh, shipping to be a, a, a matter of national security and, and put the proper uh, incentives in place to, to, uh, to preserve what they have and grow it and be competitive in that market. So it's doable, uh, but it just takes a, 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 a mindset change and policy shift to, to make it happen. But if a country of 9 million people can do it, then then how many people do we have in America? 330 million. 330 million? Then, yeah. then we, we can do that. Yes, we can. We, we could. <laughs> it would, I mean, theoretically, it wouldn't be that hard. Right. And you can, the national security... The national security interest here is 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 overwhelming. No, can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, I think for us, the the world's greatest power on earth, that with all these responsibilities, that we would have our supply chains so vulnerable alone is uh, is unthinkable. I mean, it's obviously not unthinkable because this is that's where we are, yeah. right? That's yeah. where we are. I mean, think about it in terms of what's happened in 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 Western Europe now with their their energy supply being manipulated by Putin. Um, uh, through the Nord Stream gas pipeline, uh, just just you know dialing it up, dialing it back, just to just to try and control their decision making around Ukraine, and they're not. He hasn't been very successful yet, but they're going to suffer for it. Um, change the instead of energy, it's our flat screen TVs and everything else we buy uh, as consumers uh, from China and and frankly across the the, the Far East. Um, uh, and and the mode of transportation isn't the pipeline, but it's the ships and the con- shipping containers. 100% of the shipping containers in the world are made in China, so they control all of that. Uh, all but, the shipping containers are made in China. Yeah, huh. yeah. Uh, so and you know that has just by itself interesting and concerning implications. Uh, but but they have control over that over that pipeline. Now it's not in their economic interest to disrupt it. Uh, and 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 they won't do that until it's in their uh, best interest to do that. Uh, but they have not been shy about uh, about uh, uh, leveraging their economic power to to punish those who criticize them and and uh, and so on. So I, I have no doubt that it's coming and how severe it is. I don't know and how we mitigate that. That's a that's a really really hard question. But it does seem to me like you know re- regenerating an American international maritime industry to be part of the picture now we do have thanks to the jones act we we do have companies that are engaged in shipping uh, american-owned companies following american law paying american taxes right and and uh, and, and so on um uh are they uh are they not uh advocating aggressively for um the kind of policies that we've been discussing um uh, yeah, so I think they're starting to uh, starting to pay attention to this. Um, but you know, they're right now the U.S. companies have point you know, one or point three percent of the international container shipping market. So uh, to sort of say we need to be at five or ten percent is a pretty big, uh, pretty big growth growth cycle. And and uh, uh, so so I, I think uh, it's it's again a mindset issue how do we how do we how do we change the way we think about this and i think it's going to take uh you know large uh companies like fedex who are in the transportation business uh amazon uh walmart 
uh, you know, the customers who are not comfortable having their supply chains controlled, uh, you know, by non-Americans, um, uh, who, who would like to have more diversification in, in, over, in control over the supply chains. They have the wherewithal to sort of get in and, and scale it up the way it needs to be scaled up. Um, and, uh, and I think that policy changes uh, that would incent or encourage that. Uh, industrial strategy, industrial policy, the dreaded uh, industrial policy concept, um, you know, is, is essential when we see what the, the results are uh, of, a, of a very, very laissez-faire uh, international shipping uh, policy set. Uh, I, I keep reading um, about uh, ships that are uh, basically abandoned in, in, in ports or sometimes on the high seas, they will break down. They'll be substandard. They'll break down and the crew will be from uh, Bangladesh or the, the Philippines or, but it'll be owned by uh, uh, Iran or you know, Liberian flag owned by some shady uh, Russian oligarch somewhere. Um, uh, and there's, you know, no one will take responsibility for it. So it gets pulled into a port and then just sits for years. I, I, I read a number of these stories. How many cases are there like this of just of, of, of stranded crews in the middle of nowhere? Uh, it, it, well, I mean, it, uh, the punchline to what you're saying is it ends up blowing up Beirut. Well, that was, that was when I started yeah. to become aware of this. Was right. that because that, that ship, I think it was sitting in Cyprus for a while, was it? And then it made its way to Beirut. I don't remember the, the specific, the, but I know that, it was. I believe it had a Russian. Uh, same, same thing. Crew, there was Russian, a, there was a yeah. there was a there yeah. The, so that could be looked up, but but I, but but that's a really good example of 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 the flag of convenience system, uh, uh, to sort of uh, the many uh, one of many downsides to that system. Transparency is is, is very very difficult to. I mean, there's not transparency in that system. Has uh, it? But has it always been this way? Or is it getting worse? Because I, I, I it's it's only it's only got on my radar recently. Yeah, but have there uh, always been crews with with uh, there? There have well, yeah. There, I'm sure there's always been this problem, and whether it's gotten worse or better, I don't know the answer to that. But it's still there. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a there's a book. Uh, one of the New York Times reporters put it out a few years ago called Outlaw Oceans, which documents um, sort of the abuse, and it's really focused on ships' crews, um, and 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 a lot about the fishing industry and how how badly abused they are. They're effect- some of them are effectively sh- slave ships, yeah, uh, and how the Filipino crews uh, just get ripped off horribly uh, in, in in some instances. So, and Filipinos are the are the number one source of of uh, of crews in the world. So, uh, it is, uh, it, it, it's, um, it's still around, it's still a big problem. Uh, and, and I think, a uh, an example of why, uh, the current system needs reform. Uh, is there any, uh, is there any group out there that's advocating for the, you know, the rights of, uh, of, uh, stranded Filipino sailors and well, the, the way it's sort of been handled is, uh, by, uh, uh, charitable groups uh, often organized by the maritime unions, uh, United Sip, uh, Seamen's Service, uh, Seamen's Church Institute. They'll have uh, little facilities at, at the major ports where, uh, uh, you know, s- uh, seafarers who are 
lost or stranded can 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 come, and it's handled in that sort of charitable fashion. Um, there, there are other uh, organizations that uh, uh, work for these issues, work on these issues. Um, I don't know too much about the specifics of those. So can I can I take you to shipbuilding? Yes. And uh, is is is, is shipbuilding the same story as uh, shipping? Uh, the shipping industry are we have we lost our market share nearly entirely or do we still have a a robust shipbuilding industry no we've lost uh, almost all of our market share there too the 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 latest data shows that the chinese have uh, 1529 ships in their order book large commercial ships uh, in their order book which is up 25% from last year that number again was 1529 right us but- has 5 maybe Wow, um, and uh, commercial large commercial ships uh, uh, under construction in the United Iran order in the United States, and, and there's a, again a, a fairly long uh, explanation of policy choices that were made by the U.S. government over many many decades that explains that result. Um, uh, but but one of them uh, was uh, the the uh, the program. Obviously, uh, uh, ship construction costs are historically cheaper in places where labor costs are lower. Right. Uh, that's less relevant today. It's still relevant, but I think it's less relevant today. It's more about uh, getting series construction, you know, not doing the one-off uh, uh, building. But we still, we, we, we st- I, I mean, that, there is a story in general of American manufacturing, but we still make automobiles. We, we build Boeing airplanes. We do. So We do. And, we're, and, and our Navy is the leading Navy in the world. That's correct, so, and we build the best navy ships in the world. So you, U.S. shipbuilders. You, you'd think that you'd think that just the fact that we build the best naval ships would mean that 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 alone would guarantee a kind of basic infrastructure for 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 shipbuilding. Right. It it really so that's an industrial base sort of question. Do we have the shipbuilding industrial base to to meet the needs of the of the of national security, and uh, and the and the answer to that is uh, we do because of the navy because of government shipbuilding, navy coast guard and so on. Uh, we do have some commercial shipbuilding because of the Jones Act, because uh, uh, ships operated in domestic trade have to be built in the United States. Mm. So we have five large uh, commercial ships under construction and we build hundreds of smaller uh, vessels each year. So we're reasonably competitive in the, in, in those markets. And those are relevant markets from a national security perspective. When you say smaller vessels, these are used for what? For So offshore work boats, and these can be very sophisticated mm. and, and high dollar uh, uh, investments. Um, you know, a hundred million dollars for some of the modern uh, offshore work boats that go deep water and so on, uh, to barges on the rivers and and uh, and tugboats and towboats in the harbors and rivers, um, and and uh, you know there are a number of navy uh, vessels, militarily useful vessels, certainly coast guard cutters, um, that uh, are sort of in that same size class. So we build those well and and there's good cro- crossover between uh, american yards that build uh commercial smaller vessels and coast guard cutters and so on uh so it works in that sense when you get up to larger vessels um uh our, you know we had a policy in place uh, uh for for uh, decades um called creatively called the construction differential subsidy program cds um and it was uh, not well or not well designed. Uh, it was basically, you know, we'll 
a ship owner or a ship buyer could go to a foreign yard and get a quote and to a, to a U.S. yard and get a quote and have the government write a check for the difference. Um, and that did not encourage a lot of uh, efficiencies on, right. on the part of U.S. shipbuilders. Uh, so uh, when Reagan uh, took office in 1981, he was looking around for uh, – uh, corporate uh, welfare, um, and uh, found this one and said, "We're just going to, we're just, we're just going to kill that program," which they did, and said, "Don't worry about it because we're going to build a 600 ship navy, so you'll you'll still have plenty of work, but it's all going to be navy work and and not much in the way of of um, commercial." shipbuilding work. Um, now, you know, there was a similar program for ship operations, operating, uh, creatively called the Operating Differential Subsidy Program. Um, they didn't kill that program. Uh, they eventually reformed it into something called the Maritime Security Program. And and that program to, uh, continues to this day. It, it, uh, uh, it is responsible for most of the U.S. flag ships that are operating in international trade and is a, a model of public-private par- partnership. Uh, so had they reformed instead of ki- killed the construction differential subsidy program in, in the early 80s, maybe we'd be in a different place than we are today. But this is obviously then this is a, if, if the difference is between 1,000, what was it, 1,529 versus five. This this has huge national security implications. I, I, I have to think it does. I mean, we, you know, we again we build the best navy ships in the world. Um, uh, how does it how does it follow that just because we're not building large commercial ships does that does that is that you know is it is it really relevant to a national security concern that we have? intuitively, I think it does as an advocate for the industry for so many years does it feels like it should, but you know, in, in, in this position now I can sort of take a step back and say, okay, let's, let's prove that. Let's really dig into that and understand how not building, uh, uh, not having a, an internationally competitive, uh, uh shipbuilding industry uh, for large ships, uh, how does that impact our national security and, and really be, be specific about it. And, and I'm not at that point. I think it does. I think, you know, when you, when you look at the numbers, it just sort of screams out, there's something wrong here, um, that we should be concerned about. Um, uh, but if we're asking for policy changes and the policy change we'd be asking for is industrial strategy, investment of U S taxpayer funds, right. uh, and, and, uh, you so know, it has to be well thought out. It has to be really well thought out. And, uh, and that's what we're working on. Uh, yeah, well thought out, and it has to be an obvious, uh, an obvious advantage that can be easily explained. And and, and so the, the the obvious example on the table is is the microchip industry, uh, which uh, was on the same path, and and uh, they were down to twelve percent uh, manufacturing in in the United States of chips. Uh, the majority of chips were being built in. Uh, are are produced in Korea and South Korea and uh, and Taiwan yeah. and then China on a growing basis, um, and uh, and it's a very similar story uh, with respect to shipbuilding, uh, you know. Except we're 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 a lot closer to zero percent right now, but but the the major shipbuilding uh, uh, takes place almost ninety five percent of it is uh, South Korea, Japan, and China, and so. Um, there's something that doesn't feel real comfortable about having a very concentrated industry from a national perspective to begin with, let alone one that's all sort of concentrated there in the far, in the far East. When you, when you look at all of this, um, um, I'm about to 
say something that's heretical. I hope the uh, lightning Sorry. doesn't strike me down. But it all kind of goes back to Reagan, doesn't it? I mean, it, 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 aren't, isn't it from Reagan that we go, um, uh, we become uh, free trade extremists, or let's say purists is a better word, free trade purists, and these arguments for anything that smacks of protectionism um, is immediately laughed out of the room. Am, 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 am I wrong? Well, Reagan was one of my very favorite presidents, so we I all, want to pin we, it on we, him. I don't want to. No, no, no. Look, I, uh, uh, but we having, all, no, I'm sure a, you don't either. He's a saint here at the Hudson. I'm Institute. sure he is. And he's a saint. For good reason. Saint Ronald. Yeah. But 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 it it does seem to me that we we as a country entered in at some point, if not during the Reagan administration, the 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 memory of the Reagan administration yeah. became free trade purism. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, it really uh, we we were all in uh, at some point along the way, and and uh, and uh, you know you can't deny the uh, uh, the the economic growth that that it has spurred. I mean, it's 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 phenomenal. I mean, if all we looked at, I mean, this this is sort of from my corporate experience. If you only look at at, at uh, um, profits or EBITDA or whatever it is, and, and you, you completely manage your business to that, you can do that. But then you lose, you know, you lose all kinds of other important things like, you know, your people and your, and your reputation and all this stuff. But if you, you know, if you manage to that one number, you, you can be successful in meeting that number. And I think we've managed uh, to GDP growth uh, in this country as a world economy for, uh, for a long time. Uh, and and uh, and we've lost sight of uh, some other important things like our national security. Yeah. Um, and and we're paying the price now uh, for for just being so focused on GDP growth and so trusting that the rest of the world would uh, well, see things the way we would. In a in a belief that that uh, that anyone who any other country that participated in the in the global f free market would be transformed by it. Um, you know, would be turned into another, into uh, basically a country that looked like America. Yeah. So it was not in our imagination that a country like China could remain uh, uh, communist and authoritarian and free market based. Right. So we need to revise our and and, and they're they're making these decisions. They're not making their major economic decisions purely on the basis of a GDP calculation. That's correct. They're 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 thinking about national strength. Yep. In, yeah, I think and, it's and that's why they have a thousand five hundred and twenty nine ships, and we have five. <laughs> <laughs> well, that yes, absolutely. I think their 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 mindset is definitely different than ours has been, um, and, and I think there are other ramifications that we probably don't need to get into now. But it gets back to sort of one of your earlier questions about why the country is different today than than it was when you grew up, and I, and I feel like uh, another sort of. Uh, um, effect of our very very pure free trade policy uh, is is income and wealth disparity. Um, we've effectively through our trade policies taken the supply of labor uh, available to produce things for the for American consumers from 100 million American workers, 125, 150 American million American workers to you know two or three billion. Uh, uh, internationally, and of course, the shipping industry is extremely efficient in bringing this stuff here. So, so um, you know, you you've just you just blown the supply up exponentially by having a free trade policy that's so 
structured, um, and uh, and and that has had an effect on the middle class. Now, the 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 good news is that you know our our growth has been across the board. The 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 uh, you know even the lower uh, income echelons have done well, but. But the disparity has grown so much, and Ray Dalio has has figures on this that are pretty compelling about how how much uh, income inequality has grown. And I, I don't know where how the Hudson Institute would feel about that, but that kind of comment. But uh, but it seems to me a, a, an effect of of our. I don't, I don't our think the Hudson Institute will mind that comment. It's the one about Reagan that's going to be the end of me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but but I think that that is to my mind is is. Uh, Free trade policy is is, is correct with caveats, and and we need to understand those caveats better and adjust. And national security has got to be the number one exception to to free trade. I mean, we we have gone so far, uh, we at, you know society, uh, to to the point that our navy was at one point looking at buying um, a ship uh, to to carry special forces around the world. I should be careful about this. Um, uh, from China, that was under construction from China, yeah. um, and uh, not too long ago. And and finally, we're persuaded that might somebody not be <laughs> so, so, somewhere along the line, somebody said, "Hey, maybe this is not a good idea." Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. doesn't pass the test of common sense, I think. <laughs> yeah, it was, but it, it wasn't that long. It's, it hasn't been that long since these attitudes changed. No, and they haven't totally changed. Actually, no, they haven't. They 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 have changed broadly, but there are still very powerful constituencies in the United States that are that are 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 not willing to right make the sacrifices necessary to alter the balance with China. I absolutely correct, and I think making the case for the kinds of changes that we're talking about you know, specifically in the maritime industry and more generally in the, and, and understanding there's a cost to all of those changes is going to be a, a, a is a real challenge. Um, I, I will also say that, that the, you know, the, the, the dollars and cents cost of shifting away f- as an example of shifting away from the flag of convenience system to a, a more uh, regulated entry uh, system with somewhat higher shipping costs, um, uh, w- would be decimal dust. It wouldn't have an impact on inflation or that sort of thing. And and I think I was getting to that point earlier where, where 350% uh, freight rate increases um, uh, produced a 1.5% uh, increase in consumer prices. Uh, the cost difference in terms of delivered goods by going, looking at the, at the ship itself and putting a U.S. crew on there and that sort of thing would be 3%. So three percent versus three hundred fifty percent, it would it would it would be a. a, a and if, a, if it was part of a system too, in which if 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 we the Europeans, our allies in 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 East Asia all got together and agreed on something approaching what we have in in um, uh, in air travel, yeah, kind of, that kind of that kind of system, then it would become it would quickly become the glo- global standard, and it would be factored into everything. Right. Right. And and uh, as I say, would not they'll. I'm sure you'll see some harangues about uh, at a time of inflationary pressures, we shouldn't be doing oh, this. I can, I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine all the Cato Institute. Uh, yeah, uh, this is the worst thing to do. But yeah, but the reality is, it would be minimal. 
All right. Well, uh, have we covered everything that you would like to cover? Is there anything you want to tell the, you know, you know, this is the fastest growing uh, podcast in America. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. It's, it's you just, do a good job. It's a, it's a, <laughs> it's amazing how, how many people are out there listening right now. So if you want to, you, is there anything you want to tell them uh. to the, the multitudes? <laughs> good. Okay. I'm good. Thank you. All right. Thank yeah. you. Awesome. That's all we have here. Huge thank you to everyone for tuning in. Huge thank you to Mike and a huge thank you to Hudson Institute for supporting our work. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you.